Welcome to the Revenue Engine Podcast. I'm your host, Rosalind Santa Elena, and I am thrilled to bring you the most inspirational stories from revenue generators, innovators, and disruptors, revenue leaders in sales, in marketing, and of course, in operations. Together, we will unpack everything that optimizes and powers the revenue engine. Are you ready? Let's get to it. The last few years have been a true whirlwind for everyone. The global pandemic has had such a significant impact on people, but also businesses of all sizes and industries. One of the hardest hit industries is wellness. The downturn of businesses juggling the ever-changing restrictions, moving from physical to virtual, and trying to just stay afloat has been overwhelming. And then this shift with things opening up and an increased focus on wellness and health, not just physical, but also mental wellness, has made this industry a roller coaster. Today's podcast is sponsored by Outreach.io. Outreach is the first and only engagement and intelligence platform built by revenue innovators for revenue innovators. Outreach allows you to commit to accurate sales forecasting, replace manual processes with real-time guidance, and unlock actionable customer intelligence that guides you and your team to win more often. Traditional tools don't work in a hybrid sales world. Find out why Outreach is the right solution at click.outreach.io slash RevEngine. In this episode of the Revenue Engine podcast, Josh McCarter, the CEO at MindBody, shares how, as an organization, they not only adjusted their business to ensure their own revenue success, but how they went all in, really above and beyond, to support and enable their customers to be successful as well. So please take a listen to this longtime leader who knows a whole lot about revenue and wellness, but also about leadership and winning as a team. So super excited to be here today with Josh McCarter, the CEO at MindBody. For those of you who aren't familiar with MindBody, MindBody is the leading technology platform for the fitness, wellness, and beauty industries and has built the world's largest wellness marketplace where millions of consumers find and book classes and appointments every month. So welcome, Josh, and thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to just unpack your story and learn from you. Great. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to get going. That's great. So let's let's talk about it before MindBody. I mean, you've held a number of roles. You've been in business development leadership. You've been a COO, which I love, the operations side of it. You've been a president, board member, and even a founder. So maybe, you know, can you share some of your background and some of that story of your journey, you know, prior to MindBody? Absolutely. Well, I, I've been in the broader technology industry since the early days of the internet. And I started at Auto Bytel as one of the uh, original members there uh, right before we got our, uh, our Series A. And that was at a time when nobody had any idea how to buy anything online. And we were helping dealers, car dealers, sell cars online. And I remember calls back in the day trying to explain to dealers that, no, you don't actually push a car through <laughs> your computer and have it show up at somebody's house. It's very different than that. But that was literally the mindset yeah. uh, back then. And, and really what we set out to do at Auto Bytel was creating 
the first online automotive marketplace. And so it was a, you know, a combination of tools for dealerships to help them manage their inventory and be able to put that up online. And then also all of the, the research components for consumers to be able to find and, and purchase a car and financial services and, and so forth. And that was all the way back in 1996. So when you see you know, now where we are with companies like Carvana or even buying a Tesla, one of my buddies was telling me about the fact that he, he bought a Tesla on his mobile phone. Which is just unbelievable that that's how far the industry has, has come. And so I, I moved from Auto by Tel to a business that was called Spa Finder. And that was really my first foray into the, into the wellness industry. And at the time, SpaFinder was an offline travel agency and publisher. So if you think, again, kind of pre-internet, you wanted to go to a Canyon Ranch or a Golden Door or a Miraval, you didn't really know the difference between those businesses. And so what SpaFinder did was they had a travel agency service to help people think through what was the best property for them to, to go to. And then they ultimately turned some of that content into a magazine that they published. And, and our goal was to turn that into an online marketplace where people could just go online and they could search and they could find these wellness properties and then they could book those services. And so that was in the in the early 2000s. And uh, again, this was you know kind of a transformation for an industry where we were taking an industry that was largely offline and then moving that online. And so I, I was at SpotFinder for several years. I ended up going on the board for, uh, I think I just calculated last night, it was 16 years that oh, I was wow. on the board at, at SpotFinder. So very much plugged into uh, that business and the broader wellness industry during that time. We started the Global Wellness Summit and, and several other, other initiatives. Uh, but I, I joined some friends from uh, business school uh, that had just started a company called Arbitech. And this was an independent distributor of what we'd call computer commodities, but it was effectively all of the products that would go into data center equipment. So you'd have a server and you'd need hard drives and memory and controllers and so forth. And, and so we sold that. Uh, and we achieved a billion dollars of sales under my leadership wow. there when I was when I was president. We got rated the fastest growing company in the U.S. and entrepreneur. We placed several times in, in the Inc. 500. And this was just a rocket ship of a business. No outside capital, four oh, partners, wow. and, and really an exciting place to be for, for many years. And then as, as, as I you know, kind of was concluding my tenure at, at Arbitech after about six years, I was asked by the CEO and, and primary shareholder of SpaFinder, to take a look at a product that had been built over the prior years that was enabling the booking of spa services online. And the product was called Spa Booker. And, and so we were looking at it and said, man, there, there might be a bigger opportunity for this product to not just service you know, spas that are part of Spa Finder, but maybe the broader wellness industry. And so ultimately in, in 2010, we spun that product out set up a separate business. And at the time, I thought I was just doing this as a board member to help position the business for a capital raise or for a sale. And ultimately, that culminated in, in us raising a $15 million Series A round. But then the investors came back and said, hey, we really want you to be the CEO going forward you know, to help uh, build this business. And so I did that and, and built that over eight years. And, and it culminated in a sale to MindBody in, in 2018. And so that's my history pre-mind body. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I think it's just, it's so much, it's interesting to just kind of follow your journey and kind of understand, you know, the combination of, you know, technology and wellness and just kind of, it's really, it's really not surprising, I guess, <laughs> in terms of kind of where you're at today and just some of the, the expertise that you have. Yeah, it's been, it's been a journey for sure. And, and the industry itself has changed a lot. And then also how both businesses and consumers use technology in the industry and to access wellness, that's also changed pretty radically in the last, you know, call it 15 years. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the comment about, you know, just kind of pushing the car through the computer type of thing. I mean, <laughs> actually, that would be really technology, right? That would be Seriously. probably, you know, probably not in our lifetime. But, you know, right. I know I remember growing up and thinking, you know, watching, you know, being able to actually see somebody when you're talking to them was going was something that was like way out in the future. Now we're both dating ourselves. But yes, right. <laughs> definitely. Um so you've been at MindBody now for about four years, you know, after this acquisition, and you've had quite a journey there as well, you know, as you alluded to just the changes in the industry. I mean, think about the changes in the environment, the last couple of years, the industry, you know, what has that journey been like, you know, from first coming in and leading, you know, strategy, right, as the chief strategy officer, then moving on to president, and now obviously being the CEO of the entire company. Yeah, it's definitely been a, a journey, and, and each role has been very different. I would say it's starting off just coming into MindBody, there was a huge difference in the size and scale of uh, Booker and MindBody. At Booker, we were about 250 people when we sold. MindBody was about 2,000. And so just wow. a big difference in, in terms of overall scale. It was also a public company. We were a private company. And so I, I think at the, at the beginning, there was a lot of just adjustment for, for me and for my team, understanding all of the different processes and why do we have to have certain trainings and why do we have you know, certain reporting requirements and, and so forth, because it was fundamentally different being in a public company versus being in a private company. And, and when I had the, the role as chief strategy officer, my number one area of focus was on integrating Booker. And so that was really the, the very near-term uh, focus. And then I started taking on additional activities within the business, mostly around our partnerships, business development, our payments partnerships, which was about a third of our revenue. And I really you know, focused on how do we continue to innovate and drive that forward. And uh, within about eight months of selling Booker to MindBody, we wound up in a process to take MindBody private. And that was a result of various conversations that started emerging with you know, different private equity investors and, and so forth. And so before we even knew it, we you know, went from selling Booker to MindBody to then taking MindBody private in a transaction with Vista. And that closed in early, early 2019. And at that point, Vista asked me to stay on and move into a role of president where my job was really focused on developing what they call a value creation plan. So when they acquire a business, what are the areas that they believe we can invest in, we can get on their best practices? And I call it kind of the Vista chassis. So it's a variety of best practices, some are systems, some are processes, some is training, and how do you roll that out across the entire company? And then what are the different inflection points that you will see in the business as you implement that value creation plan? And so I was tasked with doing that. And so that was most of 2019 was really you know, getting on the Vista chassis, retraining our teams, starting on uh, new system implementations. And so there was a lot of work that we were doing. And, uh, and then as we started going into 2020, we started seeing you know, our businesses in, in Asia shutting down. And then in, you know, February 2020, it was Europe that started shutting down. And, and so we realized at that point, hey, this, you know, this COVID thing is really going to be uh, a material impact to the broader wellness industry as we start just seeing, you know, storefronts closing, people can't get in to access their classes or access their appointments. I remember back in those days, everybody was doing their haircuts at home or just growing their hair really long. And so we <laughs> knew that there was going to be a, a material impact to our business, uh, but we just didn't know how, how big the impact was going to be or how long yeah. it was going to last. And so Vista, in, in consultation with Vista, we worked with them 
to think through various scenarios and what we might need to do to restructure the business. And, and in my role, I was tasked with leading that restructuring of the business, which, you know, to say the least, was was very challenging. We, we ended up having to say goodbye to about a third of our company. About 600 people got let go in, in April of 2020. And, uh, and we had to go through really repositioning the business, you know, one, to be there for our customers and make sure that they got through the pandemic and that we also were able to get to the other side and, and service them, and then also be there for, for our team. And so there, were, there was a lot of work that we did. And ultimately, as we were going through 2020, I moved into the uh, CEO role, Rick Stolmeyer, who is a good friend of mine, is the uh, founder of, of MindBody and, and was the CEO pretty much for the entirety of, of MindBody's existence before I, I moved into that role. Uh, he moved into an executive chairman role. And, you know, together with Rick and the executive team and Vista, you know, we, we worked on ensuring that we had a, a great plan for you know, supporting the businesses and, and going through kind of an indeterminate amount of time where the industry was going to be uh, impacted by COVID. I think, you know, ending 2020 revenues for the broader fitness industry were down almost 60% and 20% of storefronts closed. So it was a really challenging time you know, for the industry. I'm, I'm very proud to say that our business was not nearly impacted that much, but we were, we were certainly impacted as well as, as other businesses that we, that we partnered with. And, and part of that, you know, seeing kind of where the businesses were impacted and where we saw the future opportunity led us to uh, start conversations with one of our largest partners, ClassPass. And throughout 2021, we negotiated a transaction to acquire ClassPass and bring them uh, into the mind body family. And so that was really, you know, an exciting culmination of, of literally years of conversations that we had with class pass, but also, you know, really getting strategic about thinking about where is the industry going? How can we have the best offering for both businesses and for consumers? And by bringing the two businesses together, that uh, that certainly has enabled us to to achieve at least getting that foundation in place so that as we exit COVID and as more consumers are going back into the end, we're going to be the platform of, of choice to be able to, you know, to do that. And so for me, that that transition, you know, all the way from going back to the, the question from, you know, being chief strategy officer to being president and, and being CEO, it's been just a, a fantastic experience at, at MindBody. And, and, you know, I really love leading from the front and, you know, COVID certainly gave the opportunity to, to be there and to do that and to support my team and to support the broader industry in, in a pretty serious time of uncertainty for, for the overall industry. And now it's exciting to see us being able to move from this kind of defensive position that we've been in for the last two years and really moving into an offense as we start getting deeper into uh, into 2022. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's quite a journey. Lots, lots have changed. Lots has changed, right, over the last couple of years. And I think the last, you know, two or three years now has been just it's in some ways it's been a bit of a blur, like so much has happened. And in some ways it's just like so much has happened. You know, when you think about the impact of global, you know, of the global pandemic on wellness, you know, both, as you mentioned, sort of that downturn of businesses, right? Not only shutting down, but trying to move from being physical and sort of storefront to virtual, right? And then I imagine then there's this, this sort of shift to more of an upturn because there's a lot more focus, right, on wellness and health. And it sounds like you and your team have really, you know, probably been on quite a bit of a roller coaster over the last couple of years. So, you know, as you look back, maybe at the last two years or so, you know, what are some of the things that you think, um, you know, that the organization did really right, 
right, to drive and retain revenue. And are there any things that you might have done differently? I think you touched on some of the things in terms of, you know, working with your customers and really partnering with them. You talked about the, you know, looking at class pass and such, but are there other things that you might you know, might be willing to share? Yeah. So I, the, the first part in terms of, of what we did right, I think that I, I would focus first on really being there for our customers and supporting them through just a, a horrible time. And, and you've got to realize that most of the customers that we serve are small and medium businesses. Mm-hmm. So these are people that had a dream and had an ambition to be their own boss and to be entrepreneurial and go out and open up a business and in many cases, they're they're using their life savings to go and open up these businesses, right? And, yeah. and when you have government restrictions and you're told you can't have anybody into a class or you can only have 10% occupancy in a class, you used to have 20 people in a class, now you can have two. Right. You know, they were really staring at the prospect of going bankrupt and draining their cash reserves. So the first thing that we did was we, we stepped in and, and we provided almost $15 million of, of fee relief to our customers. And so that was... Mm-hmm. You know, one of the very first things that that we did, we also negotiated with the credit card companies to make sure that they would give the businesses access to their funds, because that was something that was really concerning for the credit card industry was somebody's paying a monthly membership, but they can't come into your physical location. So are we going to get, you know, literally hundreds of millions of dollars of chargebacks mm-hmm. based on that? And so there, there was a role that we played behind the scenes with the, the broader credit card industry, as well as, as various financing sources uh, to ensure that our businesses could get access to, you know, to, to their revenue. So that was, that was a pretty important part. The other thing, again, going back to the analogy of, of small and medium businesses, these are companies many times that don't have a lot of experience in renegotiating a lease. Mm-hmm. How do they negotiate uh, things with their with their credit lines and, and so forth? And so we stepped in as a you know voice of authority and as a partner to really provide a steady stream of content that uh, enabled our customers to navigate some of these really tricky things that uh, you know that kind of <laughs> independently would have been very challenging. We also stepped in and, and partnered with other industry leaders on the on the Gyms Act and and that was an attempt to drive more targeted funding and relief for our industry. Mm-hmm. And so through that we got connected with a variety of other leaders in the industry and and while that act did not end up getting successfully passed. It really, you know, put Mind Body and, and ClassPass as well, really at the forefront of the legislative efforts and some of the uh, lobbying that were, were happening on, on behalf of the uh, of the industry. Then, specifically for our customers from a product standpoint, you mentioned virtual. We launched within about four weeks of the, of the pandemic our first version of our virtual wellness platform. Mm-hmm. So that was uh, a, a product that enabled businesses to do live streaming or on-demand virtual classes. And so for the fitness industry, that was, you know, a huge boon and enabled them to compete with virtual only offerings or with the Pelotons of the world and, and so forth. And so that was another area where I feel really about what we what we did in the past. We, we also saw going back again to this point about people having drained their life savings over the last two years. We also saw a real opportunity to lean in with additional financial services. And so we've recently launched MindBody Capital, and, and that's basically a way that wellness businesses can tap into funding for their short-term cash flow needs. And this is done based on the volume of credit cards that they're processing and revenue that they're generating in their business. And so as we talk with businesses, some of them are saying, hey, I need that just to be able to help open 
my studio or my spa or salon because I've gone through so much cash and I need to do a refresh. I need to employ people before I start really seeing you know, a return to normal. In other cases, some businesses have gotten back up to their pre-pandemic level and they're ready to expand, but they've already tapped all of their credit lines. And so this is a way that we can work with those partners and, and really help them uh, grab some tailwinds from COVID and, uh, and grow their business as they, as they head forward. Going to the, the topic about what might we have done differently, one of the things that we did was a pretty hard pivot to moving our tier one customer support offshore. And that had been a plan pre-COVID, but as we started you know, getting deeper into COVID, we really accelerated that move. And what we hadn't foreseen at that point, frankly, we, we have a partner in the Philippines that we're working with, was the impact that COVID was going to have in that region and the impact that weather such as typhoons were going to have uh, in the Philippines. And so we, we had some headwinds on making what I would have considered, you know, an opportunity for a smooth transition. That was something that I, I think just really hit us harder than we than we expected. And some of our our service levels uh, got impacted as a as a result. I see. I see. Wow. I, that's just an amazing, you know, amazing some of the things that you were doing. I mean, I love the focus just on partnering really in creative ways to help your customers be successful. And as you said, a lot of these are small, you know, could be small companies, right? Very small businesses. So I love that. I think that's amazing to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. I guess along the similar topic, you know, mind and body is really in an interesting space, right? Because you have both a B2B focus, but also really a B2C focus, right? You serve tens of thousands of businesses, but millions of consumers, you know, and I think as buyers and customers continue to be, you know, more informed, we're, we're more demanding, right? We have more expectations, you know, <laughs> what is your, I guess, your approach and philosophy towards driving that customer value? I think you've talked a lot about it already, but I think yep. there's probably more. And, and how has that, you know, really helped retain and expand your customer base? So I, I think both on the B2B and B2C side, it's all about staying close to your customers, mm -hmm. right? And, and hearing what experiences they're looking for, what's working well and what's not working well. And, and so when you go to the, on the B2B side, we have a, a product that's been built over, call it 20 years. And it's a very complex product because we serve a single location SMB all the way up to an Orange Theory Fitness, F45, Dry Bar, uh, and what have you. And so the needs of those businesses are very different. And so what, what's happened is, is that our, our product over time has just become harder to use because there's so many features and, and functions. And so we took a, you know, really kind of a SWAT team approach to looking at holistically our product, the feature function, what are the things that people are using 80, 90% of the time? And let's just make sure that those workflows and those processes are absolutely as, as smooth as, as possible. And there's also a blurring of the lines when you when you get into the SMB world with SMB users and kind of their also their experience as consumers. So if you think about, you know, as, as a business operator, you're probably using an iPhone to be able to do other things in your personal life. And so you want your business systems mm -hmm. to be as easy to use as your iPhone, right? And so that's something that we really had to take a hard look at and, and say, okay, let's just simplify things as much as we can. Let's also use AIML on the back end to automate different workflows or to surface insights that previously you'd have to go down and dig deep into reports. Now, let me actually pull those insights up into a, a summary page. 
maybe your own as, as a think of a, a membership based business that has uh, members that haven't been in, in in three months. Well, those members are likely to churn. Last year, you'd have to go dig into a report to find where those customers are. Now it's brought up into a dashboard where you can actually action something to reach out to those consumers, offer them something to come in and, and have a service or, or participate in a class. And so pulling up a lot more of, of the data is really how I, I think in driving insights that we're going to drive more value to our to our businesses. And that comes from, again, kind of re-engineering the, the process from the customer back. And then on, on the consumer side, a, a lot of it's very you know similar in terms of thinking about what is it that consumers are, are looking for? And, and you, you mentioned that there, there has been an expansion in terms of, of how people think about wellness. We've already always talked about the seven dimensions of wellness, and it's not just you know physical wellness and well-being, but it's it's your emotional well-being, it's your mental, it's your occupational, and, and so forth. And so there's a there's now kind of a, a very different lens on on what well-being and what wellness is, and then frankly where we can intersect with that. And, and ClassPass is a great story in terms of how they've pivoted over time, where you know just the name ClassPass used to historically be focused. 100% just on classes. And so think yoga and spin and Pilates and, and so forth. But in 2020, as a lot of those businesses were closed, wellness businesses like spas and salons and integrative health places were not closed. And so they started opening up and, and selling to businesses that cater to more of what I would call like appointment, you know, beauty and, and wellness. And so now, you know, about a quarter of, of class pass credits are used on those type of uh, services. And so that's something where, again, talking with consumers, hey, I can't get in for a class, but I'm, you know, I, I really could go, you know, get a massage and, and have something to help me de-stress because of everything that's going on in my life with, with COVID. And we were able to meet them there through through the ClassPass product. And so those are just some examples of, you know, how, how we've been able to, to pivot to meet both, you know, business demands as well as demands of, of consumers. I love that. I love that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about leadership, as I know that this is something that's incredibly important, I think near near and dear to your heart. You know, I think when you and I first met, we had a discussion about leadership and you shared some of your thoughts around, which I think are really valuable and would love to hear more. So can you share maybe how you think about leadership for yourself and for your team, and maybe how that has come into play in terms of driving those better business results. So my, my I, I used to describe my leadership style as, as servant leadership, but I, I've heard a better term in the in the last six months called empowerment leadership. And, and really, it, it's a philosophy that my job as, as CEO is to empower my teams to be successful and to clear the path for them, if there's an obstacle in the way, maybe it's a maybe it's access to capital, maybe it is a process that's not working right for their teams. My job is to kind of clear the path for them to be uh, to be successful, and so that's usually how I orient myself. Now, the the other one that uh, people ask me a lot of time was my what's my favorite leadership book, and I talk about Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People because I, I think that no matter mm-hmm. what level you're at in an organization. We always tell you know, mind body team members as they're joining that we expect everybody to be a leader in the company. This isn't, you know, you're a leader because you have a particular title. There's an opportunity for everybody to lead in their own function. And I reference the seven habits frequently because I say, you know, if, if you go through those seven habits, it, it first starts off with be proactive, right? Like actually engage and do something mm-hmm. because that's 
That's how leadership starts. Like if you're just sitting back waiting for the world to hit you, that is not being a leader, right? So this this notion of, of being proactive, I think, is is just critical. And then, you know, a couple other ones that, that I, I call out uh, from the seven habits is, you know, starting with the end in mind. Where are you trying to get to, right? And so then how do you organize yourself to get there? And so there he calls it putting first things first. So you, you start with the end in mind, you put first things first, and then you think win-win. Like, how is it that we can build uh, a scenario where both sides of, of whatever initiative win, right? Mind-body can win and our customers can win, or, or mind-body can win and our consumers can win, or the businesses can win and the consumers win, and, and really stringing that together and being thoughtful and uh, intentional about that. And so those are just some of the things from, you know, from the seven habits that I, I've uh, referenced frequently with our, with our teams at every, just to make sure that we're all kind of coming at it from a, from a similar mindset. I've also been a, a big believer in you know, hiring people that are smarter than you in a particular field. So mm-hmm. don't be the person that says, Hey, I know everything. And so therefore I'm just going to go hire somebody that's going to execute what I'm telling them to do. I completely put that on the head and go, I want to go find the person that is going to, you know, help me iterate on this business, hiring people that have been down the path before, and especially when you're growing fast. Cause if you just hire somebody that's good for the point in time that you're at and you're growing fast within six months, you're going to outgrow them. So find those people that have been, you know, down the path uh, that you're going on a year or two years ahead of, of where you are so that they can, that they can help pull the, the business along. And then getting into a really strong and rigorous planning cycle so that you're driving alignment, that you're really being ruthless on your, your prioritization, you're questioning your initiatives, and then you, you get to a point where you have alignment with your leadership team about what you're going to execute on. And uh, there, there's a, a saying that, that we're adopting from ClassPass that I love, which is debate, decide, and commit. And so that's something that we've really been doing. We just had a three-day offsite here in in Scottsdale uh, and had our broader leadership team together. And it was really great to see this happening where, you know, you're getting ideas out, you're challenging those ideas, you're driving, you know, alignment on what are the key priorities to, to focus on. And then once you've aligned at that at the leadership level, how do you communicate that out you know, to your team so that they understand what their day-to-day activities are and how that ladders up to the key priorities for the company. And so I, I think that that's kind of the, the, the finality on the leadership is, is that, you know, if you're not communicating with your team and they don't understand how they fit in and they don't understand where you're going together and why you're driving in a certain direction, then you're not going to be leading anybody. They're all going to be sitting back kind of saying, hey, what am I supposed to do, right? And, and so I think that that's the mm-hmm. key part of, of leadership is making sure that you're bringing your team along uh, with you in the direction that you're going. Yep, yep. I love that. I love that. I love that. Debate, decide, and commit. I think that's yep. that's amazing. You talked about alignment a little bit, which is one of my probably most overused words. <laughs> I talk a lot about alignment and rigor and, you know, and objectives and strategy, right? All the time because, you know, obviously revenue operations, one of my favorite topics. So, you know, I always think about, you know, RevOps is sort of that secret weapon, or maybe it's not so secret these days because everybody's talking about it, but it's really, right. It's really that strategic differentiator, right. In an organization, really their ability to scale, you know, drive that predictable, repeatable, you know, processes and, and scale, but also help to retain customers, Mm -hmm. right. And help customers be successful, so what are your thoughts on this, on 
revenue operations and how can organizations really best leverage this part of the business for better revenue outcomes? Well, as you said, I think revenue operations is, is just critical for any SaaS business and arguably probably many other businesses. My my lens with RevOps, um, since it's kind of become a thing, is, is really, you know, through the lens of, of vertical SaaS. But when, when you take, when you break it down into the individual you know, processes, it's, you know, kind of starting from the systems and the, and the go-to-market processes or onboarding and training teams to, you know, the, the reporting that's coming out and the targeting of, you know, customer experiences and, and where uh, there may be, you know, some challenges. It's really the foundation and I think the glue that, that holds the uh, teams together. And so to your point, it, it helps drive predictability and this end-to-end alignment that I, I think is just critical in, in businesses. And so, you know, ours has iterated over time, frankly, I think like many companies, you know, we started out with sales operations and we probably, we had customer operations in a, in a different area. We had, you know, data and insights in a, in a different area. We even had training and onboarding in a, in a different area. And so, you know, for us, I, our journey over the last couple of years, and, and some of this was really in, in solid partnership with, with Vista, was building out uh, a true revenue operations function. And, you know, at a point in time right now, I think that I, I would say that we've got a very well-oiled machine. Uh, we have the processes in place to make sure that as people are coming on board, that they're getting up to speed with the the right training as we're launching new products. That the products are you know getting into Salesforce, they're getting into Aria. We can bill for them, we can collect, we can do the you know training of the sales teams and the and the CX teams, and and the more that we brought those functions together from the different silos that existed in historically, the better it has performed, the better the companies performed, the better retention that we've had on on our you know key key employees. And to your, your point, also being able to surface the insights about, about customers, our retention, our customer retention, when you, when you take a look at kind of a normalized retention rate, when you, when you back out all the businesses that have, have closed as a result of COVID, for the businesses that are still functioning, our retention rates have improved massively over the last three years. And so that's kind of counterintuitive to what you think because of, of COVID, but it really you know, has to do with, I think, a lot of the processes that we put in place, the reporting that we put in place, and and the growth of of our revenue operations function. Yeah, love that. Thank you. You know, as I think about the revenue engine and this podcast, I always hope that others will be able to learn something about, you know, how to accelerate revenue growth and power that revenue engine. And I think you've shared a lot of great insights. I can't wait to go back and listen to all of this again. But I mean, I think from your from your perspective, you know, what are the top couple of things, maybe the top two or three things that you think, you know, all CEOs should really be thinking about today to accelerate revenue growth? I, I think it, it starts with what, what I mentioned earlier, which is just staying really close to your customers and, and learning what is it that they need? Maybe what other systems or tools uh, that they're using? What are the trends that they're seeing? What are their competitors doing? A lot of times we'll hear, you know, some new trend that's happening from, you know, one of our customers says, oh, this guy down the street just opened up a shop and they're doing X. And so really being plugged into your customers, what they're seeing, what they're hearing, what technologies they're, they're using. They might even tell you about competitors that are calling them that you might not have heard of or some new tool that they're, they're starting to see people use in the industry. So I, I think really staying close to the, to the customer is, is, uh, is critical. The other part is, is, is 
don't get into an echo chamber of just of your leadership team, you know, where you're all kind of just together and, and talking. You need to push down into the front lines, doing, you know, multiple skip levels, doing, you know, team meetings where, where you're dropping in and, and hearing what your front lines are saying, because this can help you both improve the product or service that, that you're offering. And that obviously drives, you know, better retention and LTV, but, but it also helps you understand like what, what's happening competitively in the market. And, and so that's something that I, I think is pretty critical. Another thing that we, we do frequently is ask ourselves, you know, if we were competitor X, what would they be doing to disintermediate us or take business away from us and then assess, well, does it make sense for us to do that or not? And so that sometimes we found some pretty cool revenue generating ideas by, by going through that exercise as well. I like that. I like that. That's some, those are really good tips and really good advice. You know, if you think about, you know, if you look back at your career and even, especially the time at MindBody, but even prior to that, are there things that, you know, maybe you wish you knew earlier, or maybe, you know, you might do differently if you could sort of hit that reset button and do it all over again? Well, you know, I, I go all the way back to the beginning of my career. And I, I share this with a lot of our, our new hires, especially, you know, the, the college grads, and, the, and it goes back to the uh, seven habits. And, and one of those is, is seek first to understand and then be understood. Mm-hmm. And I think what happens with a lot of people earlier in their career is they, they get going and they just, they want to impress people with how smart they are, right? <laughs> yeah. And that they can do everything and, and so forth. And a lot of times, like, you're not as smart as you think you are, right? <laughs> like, got, there's a lot that you need to learn yeah. at, at the beginning. And so this idea, this has got a great saying, they, they say, be a learn-it-all versus being a know-it-all. Oh, right? I love that, you know, yeah. And, and I like to think of myself as a constant learner, and it's frankly why you know, I'm still with my body is I learn something new every day. And that is just so cool to wake up and know that every day you have an opportunity to be a little bit better and to learn a little bit and then decide what it is that you've learned that you want to share with other people. And so I, I think that, you know, for, you know, for, for just in, anybody that is looking to grow their career, it's really having that growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's also knowing like, when is the right time to listen versus speak. When is the right time to lead versus follow? And, and learning that cadence is not easy and it doesn't happen overnight. But I, I think it's one of those that has you know jumped out to me as, as something that's important. The, the other thing that I, I would say, especially uh, for folks that are, are in vertical SaaS, like vertical SaaS is called vertical for a reason. And one of the mistakes that we made at, at Booker was we tried to go too wide in terms of the verticals that we were that we were serving. We, you know, viewed the platform more broadly as kind of a service commerce platform. So if you're selling a service, man, you can sell it on Booker. And what we found is we started working with Comcast to sell tea times for golf now or PetSmart to to build out functionality for pet services is each of these verticals requires a significant amount of customization mm-hmm. to work in their workflows and their and their processes. And so, frankly, we would have been much better off and probably driven a better outcome had we not ever entered into any of these vertical expansion deals and just really focused on the on the areas that we were good at. That's great. That's really great advice. Well, so thank you so much for joining me today, Josh. But as we wrap up and before I let you go, I always ask two things. Sure. One, you know, what is the one thing about Josh McCarter that others would be surprised to learn? And two, what is the one thing you want everyone to know about you? 
And sometimes they're the same thing. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. Uh, so I think on the, the first one is that I, I'm truly a sales guy at heart. I, I started off in high school oh. running and selling bikes in, uh, wow. in San Diego. And then I sold cars in college. And so I, I love sales. My first job out of college was in sales. And, and so I'm super passionate just about sales. And I, and I think sometimes people that get in sales are always looking for, okay, well, what's next? And maybe I get into sales management or something. And I think the, the fundamental thing to understand is, is that sales helps you at every level in any kind of role that, that you have. So if you're in an entry-level sales role right now, you know, fast forward to me as CEO now, my, my job every day is I'm selling our company and our mm-hmm. vision to our employees, right? I'm recruiting top-notch executives, and I've got to sell our vision uh, for the future of the business. When I'm raising capital, I have to sell the dream. And so all of those tools that I learned about value selling, for instance, those are tools that I tap into all the time, and and I I never lose sight of that. (coughs) So that's what I would share about something that folks might be surprised to learn and then, you know, something to, to, to know about me, I, I would say just more more broadly is that I am just super passionate about mind body and the, and the wellness industry. I just I think that we are in a very unique space and, and it's one of those spaces, I think, more so than any others that has the potential to positively impact the world, especially as we're coming out of COVID and especially as wellness is more top of mind. And so I, I just love the fact that, you know, we're, I'm at an industry leading company. I have an opportunity to lead an incredible team. And, and I'm super excited about uh, where the industry is headed as we get out of out of COVID and have really the opportunity to power this this new era of wellness. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much, Josh, for being being a guest today and just for sharing your story and just so many incredible, I think, insights and just tips that people can really take and learn from, you know, not, not just about revenue, but on so many other topics. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our time together, Rosalind. I'll look forward to catching up soon. All right. Thank you. 